0: And so forgiveness or the overlooking of somebody's misdeeds is sufficient in order to let you into paradise. But it's not sufficient to allow you as a polluted creature to bear the holy presence of God. But since he's remote within Islam, that's simply not the same sort of problem as it is for a biblical conception of a God who would dwell with us.
1: You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization, evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith and the persecutors church, too. Author interviews and more. Let's get to it. Hi, I'm Dr. Alphonse Javed. Over the past year, we have had so many amazing guests on the show. We have talked about everything from chess ministry to immigration, urban missions to cricket, and gentrification to dance. We have heard so many stories of how God is working in urban settings, in Muslim contexts, and around the world. Every week, we share a new episode highlighting an important voice we believe deserves to be heard. But this month, we will be resharing our most popular episodes. Even if you have already heard them, we believe you can still learn something new. Please enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Our Urban Voices. And today I have my friend Matt with me. Uh, Matt is Assistant Professor of Missions and Theology and uh, he will talk about his university a little bit, this episode is not about his school, uh, but definitely about it, the book he recently published. So, so I do want to talk about that book as an introduction. Um, so he wrote a book, the Quran and the Christian, and I had the privilege to endorse the book, which I still endorse. So please uh, find his book. And at the end of this episode, we're going to let you know. But always, as you know, on the website, underneath the episode, you can find bullet points. They will post his link as well. So you can buy that book. But here's a little bit about his book before we get into conversation, before he comes up and talk with us. The introduction of the book I'm giving you right now. Cross-culture missionary and scholar Matthew Bennett blends the insights of Islamic believers, secular Quran scholars, and missionaries to Muslims, making the Quran and the Christian like no other resource for Christian ministry to Muslims, combining these perspectives in one guide better equips Christians to communicate the biblical gospel to friends and neighbors who are adherent to islam both in and out of majority muslim cultures so welcome uh, matt welcome to our podcast
0: thank you so much alphonse it's a joy to be here
1: so talk to us a little bit about your background i love uh, um when people share about their family i have mm-hmm. four children uh, five three and twins uh, one year old In the previous season, they were teeny tiny babies, like literally two months, or three months old. Now they are one year old. So it's a joy to share some personal life experiences because we are real human beings, have real family structures and uh, real family challenges and all that. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your family, and then uh, we'll go to your ministry context, uh, how you got into the ministry and why this book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have three uh, three wonderful children. I've got an eight-year-old daughter, Annabelle. I've got a six-year-old son, Elliot, and a five-year-old son, Oliver. And uh, they were all uh, overseas with us in North Africa, uh, Middle East, and they've, uh, they've already worn out their passports at this point in their young lives. Um, so it's been a joy to be able to bring them all over the place with us, um, integrate them into ministry. And our prayer is that the Lord uses some of our, our family's environments uh, to, to prompt their hearts to a, a global vision for investing their lives for King Jesus. I'm also married to a wonderful partner in ministry. Annabelle is uh, just like her mother. Emily is my wife. They both just have a, a heart for people. And it's clear that that Emily's, Evangelistic vision for her life is something that's already wearing off on our daughter, um, as she is plugging herself into her third grade classroom and regularly reporting back to us people that she's had conversations with, and that's that's clearly an attribute that she is is gleaning from from Emily. So. We view ourselves as a, a family sold out to ministry, even though in this season of life, we find ourselves in slightly different environments with Emily teaching English as a second language through a local vocational school. that's given her continued exposure to a global community and lots of people, even people from Saudi Arabia, people from uh, Afghanistan who have been entering into her program and giving her opportunity to speak hope as she also teaches them english so how did you meet her we met in college we both were walking uh, walking with the lord at the point that we met but kind of coming to the idea of a global life from different angles she grew up with a a desire to leave the states and kind of um, adventure a little bit with a, a missionary element to that And I grew up listening to the missionaries coming through our church and leaving every time praying, God, I'm glad that you're doing that, but please don't ever make me do it. (laughs) And uh, he has a sense of humor. And I think that probably some of those prayers were actually motivated by a latent expectation that that was, in fact, where he was sending us. Amen.
1: So when you say global life, what do you mean by global life?
0: Yeah, I think for me growing up, I, I had... A vision of the American dream, and really wanted to follow the Lord in earnestness. But I wanted to also be able to dictate what that looked like, where he might lead. And comfort was probably for me the primary thing. I wanted something familiar, easy, and really kind of just the the average life. I usually, joke that I wanted a wife, two and a half kids, and a white picket fence just to be that absolute average of uh, the American. American life that I saw. And yet the Lord had other plans and very quickly during college, um, not only broke my grip on that vision of my own comfort, but broke my heart further for the the simple fact that we have tons and tons of access to the gospel here. And yet there are places that uh, almost completely lack access. And so there was a sense of the Lord really pushing me to say, if you really believe that this message is the the hope of the world, then what are you gonna do about it? And uh,
1: why would you do your PhD in missiology and then go ahead and do your demon, you already have PhD in missiology, why are you doing demon inter- intercultural uh, church blending, which is that, intercultural is also miss- missions. So
0: sure. why? Well, that was actually my MDiv that was in intercultural church planting. So the PhD was on top of that, not, uh, uh, I don't have a D-man. Oh, okay,
1: my bad. No, 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 Mm. for me,
0: uh, honestly, going to to college was sort of a, it was just what you did after graduating high school. Uh, I didn't necessarily have a passion or love for education. I just wanted better prospects for employment after graduation. Mm. But while I was there, The Lord really opened, I'd say, an element of my own walk with him that had an academic flavor to it, where I wasn't so interested in the classes I was taking, but I was getting into just personal reading of theology and things of that nature. And so it felt like there was a, a part of my own discipleship that was being formed through academics, which then moved us in the direction of doing the MDiv as well as the MA. But in that process, even though we were going overseas, as a part of that degree program, there was always a part of me that said, man, if there was ever a chance to continue this process of seeking to, to know and love the Lord with my mind and with academics, I'd I'd love to be able to per, continue pursuing a formalized study of the things of the Lord. And so he, in his kindness had, had opened that up actually while we were still overseas.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. So you,
0: finish your education overseas yes yeah i had written most of my dissertation prior to returning to the classroom here to teach and
1: was that in north africa or the middle yes East?
0: yeah that was in north africa and again just in the lord's kindness what i was researching and what i was focusing on was something that was immediately pertinent to our ministry i wrote my dissertation on the idea of atonement as it features in the Quran and then used the book of Hebrews as a sort of comparative foil to say, how is it that our Muslim friends hear a discussion of atonement as it's shaped by the Quran and how might the book of Hebrews actually help to build a um, more understandable presentation of Christian and biblical atonement that would be heard despite some of the Uh, the linguistic as well as cultural and ritual interference that comes from being preformed by a Quranic worldview.
1: So should I assume that's why you wrote the new book? That was the reason, as far as I understand, uh, some of the questions you have answered is how the Quran uh, came to be, including uh, Prophet Muhammad and the Quran uh, textual precursors. So that kind of stuff, is it because you lived in uh, North Africa and Middle East and you got the opportunity to dig deeper, or is it more, well, uh, I was doing my dissertation, so I just study books. Was it informed by the culture, what people believe, or more with with the uh, text?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It started with what people believed, and some of the conversations that I was having with uh with my muslim friends where i would have a conversation they would be nodding along but then when they would respond it seemed like there was some sort of a disconnect or a a misunderstanding that had happened somewhere in the process and so for me the dissertation really came out of, of looking at what are some of the most important parts of the christian gospel that i want my muslim friends to at least understand if not believe themselves and what are some of the things that are interfering with their even basic understanding of what i'm saying and as i began to peel back some of those layers i realized that the quran often uses similar vocabulary to the bible particularly in the the biblical translations into arabic it'll use some of that same language but in the context of the quran those words actually mean something very different Mm -hmm. and so if i'm going to use those words to communicate to someone a biblical worldview it's pretty important for me to know what's the baggage that comes with this word like atonement like sin like forgiveness any of these big concepts even the word god what are what are the ways that that word is received By my Muslim friend so that I can make sure that when I'm saying something that might mean something different than what they receive, I can do the extra work of explaining how I'm using that word.
1: So is this what you mean when you say the major themes of the Quran and how these shape the practice of Islam?
0: Are these the major themes you're talking about? That's really what I'm driving at and particularly in the Arabic language. The Quran is the first major document that was ever committed to writing in Arabic. And so even for non-Muslim communities that speak Arabic, the language has been in some ways indelibly shaped by Quranic usage. And so there's 1400 years of the Arabic language having its roots in the religious text of Islam. And so we need to be able to really investigate what do those words mean and what are some of the the sources that have shaped them so that when we have to lean into them to explain biblical categories that we can help our Muslim friends to say look look when when I say sin I mean something that radically ruptures an original relationship between God the creator and those who bear his image. So it's not just a mistake, it's not just forgetting Of God's ways or his law. It's something much more substantive when I say sin in a biblical context, and that's that's a huge part of being able to develop some mutual understanding, is making sure we all know what the other person means by the words they're saying.
1: All right, so um, I totally agree with that. Um, The idea of sin is so different in Quran than uh, in the Bible, and uh, even the the idea of original sin, Um, in even in my own book, I talk about this, uh, uh, this aspect that Christians got original sin, Muslims got original forgiveness. Mm. Um, Their theology comes out of original forgiveness that God is merciful. Therefore, every verse starts with the same idea that God is the most uh, uh, merciful, which is true, all of that is true that he is most merciful. Um, But the whole whole premise of uh, um, original forgiveness uh, changes everything. We we drive our theological understanding, or even our uh, end time uh, prophecies from that idea of original sin, how God is coming back, Christ is coming back is going to restore and all that he's making everything new. Whereas uh, in Islam, because it's the original forgiveness, therefore, the sin that is the reason for the redemption like original sin is the reason why we need the redemption in the first place and therefore the savior redeemer himself coming into this world um how do you in your uh, word search and uh, articulating this idea of atonement how did you bridge that what, what did you do for the savior uh, to
0: prompt that need of savior the, to prompt the redemptive, redemptive work Sure. Uh, I mean, I think uh, I would just affirm what you said, that I think that the discussion of who is Jesus and did he or did he not die on the cross, which is something that Muslims and Christians have argued over for 1400 years, um, mm-hmm. that is a vital and if I can say crucial uh, conversation that that needs to be had. But I think the the point of impasse in understanding begins long before Jesus's life, ministry and crucifixion. And it actually begins where you're suggesting in what is the original relationship between God and his creatures? Is it one of intimate presence? Or is it one of a distant creator who is judge and master, but who is not imminent, not a coming down sort of God? And the the biblical story presents sin not just as something that needs to be forgiven, it does. It's a violation that makes us guilty and we need to be declared innocent in Christ. But more than just uh, incurring guilt, when we enter into sin, we also incur impurity. And that needs to be dealt with if a holy God is going to enter into a present relationship with his people, both our status of guilt and our bearing of impurity is something that needs to be removed in order for us not to be destroyed in the presence of a holy and righteous God. And so the biblical problem of sin requires not just a statement of our forgiveness, but also a cleansing of our impurity. And the biblical concept of atonement brings both of those realities into a similar process, a single process that we see put on display in, for instance, the the Day of Atonement rituals, where the the camp is cleansed of its impurity so that God can dwell in the Holy of Holies, and also the animals are made to bear away the sins of the, the community. So there's forgiveness and pardon, not a baseless one, but a substitutionary one, and there's also cleansing and purification that occurs so that a holy and righteous God can, in fact, as he intended from the beginning, dwell with his people. And I think that concept of God being close to his people is something that you're not going to find within Islam. And so forgiveness or the overlooking of somebody's misdeeds is sufficient in order to let you into paradise, but it's not sufficient to allow you as a polluted creature to bear the holy presence of God. But since he's remote within Islam, that's simply not the same sort of problem as it is for a biblical conception of a God who would dwell with us.
1: So your focus is on God and man, right? So if you can settle that relationship, or somehow bring forth the true intent of the relationship that God initiated back in Eden, because uh, both, Islam and Christianity or the God of the Bible and and, uh, the God of uh, um, uh, Quran agree on that, that Adam was created. They do believe in the creation, right? And therefore, if we settle the dispute back in Eden and uh, um, what you're proposing is uh, somehow bring these two elements uh, uh, before them, which is, you said, forgiveness of sin, which is substitutionary, and it's not nothing; it is real. Uh, but that will save you from uh, uh, your what, from a Muslim understanding of misdeed or the bad thing you've done. But it will not remove the impurity you are carrying, and therefore you can't be in the exist in the presence of the Holy God, right? Um, so take me back to this idea of uh, so these are theological uh, um, issues. How would you bring that in a regular? Uh, practice. So practitioners, so most of the people who come to Hart for Muslims conference, and uh, 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 people who are listening to this, would like to hear, uh, they are practitioners, they are in the field. So okay. when when you meet, my contacts always been subway, right? So I'm in the subway, I'm riding uh, next to a guy, literally, he was reading a, a story about the about lot. Uh, I looked over, I said, Oh, you're reading about lot, but there's like literally three, four sentences. And this, that's it. There is nothing more, nothing less. You don't know the context. You don't know what, what was the relationship, why it happened? What did not happen? It's just lot there. And then Sodom and Gomorrah situation It's related to that particular story that God's wrath comes and it punishes. So -hmm. therefore the, uh, it just shows up, but I got the opportunity. Uh, I was uh, heading from uh, Bronx to midtown and uh um this guy was uh, uh going to set his um you know outdoor shop so he was just reading very committed north uh, uh, african and uh, it was a good opportunity to just share with him that hey you know that this there's a full story you can read that and then i ended up talking about uh when, when he found out oh there is this full story available i said yeah there's also a whole story about uh, you know those uh, X amount of books that are not no longer around and the quran claims that or islam says that there are so many books given to so many prophets so sure. those books are there so we got into this so i'm talking about the practice of this theology how how do you propose uh, we should um launch into this kind of discussion so it's a fruitful discussion what kind of situation uh, are are uh, For practitioner purposes, not if I'm not a uh, let's say if the person who is listening is not a professor is not a uh, preacher he's not a um, debater so he's not debating He's just everyday guy who just sees somebody at the subway so how we can use this content.
0: No that's great some of the ways that i've gotten into this conversation there's any number of ways, but I would suggest asking asking your friend to to explain or describe what they anticipate paradise to be. Mm. Have them discuss the the Islamic vision of what those who are successful in this life and to whom God extends his mercy into the next life, what is it that they are looking for or hoping for? More often than not in the conversations that I had with my Muslim friends, they would talk about uh, you know all of the the good things that they hope for the uh, individual paradise, the oasis, the, um, you know, provisions and pleasures and things of that nature. But they'd conclude without ever mentioning God being there or mm. them being in God's presence. And so then pressing them to say, you know, well, what, what do you anticipate to be your relationship in this place where you don't have any needs you've already made it uh, beyond the punishment that you were hoping to avoid. What, Where is God in all of this? And for most, at least those who are maybe closer to a, an orthodox expression of uh, at least Sunni Islam, there's going to be a real lack of even the possibility mm-hmm. of immediately dwelling with God because he is just so wholly other than humans or anything created. The idea of his oneness keeps him separate this idea of tawheed you may hear your Mm -hmm. muslim friends refer Mm -hmm. to as his oneness it keeps him by nature separate and distant from what he he has created and so then being able to say man then we've got some questions of why did god create it all if he didn't want to be immediately present with his people and there's any number of different directions that conversation can go Um, Mm. But being able to say, can I tell you that, I mean, I I anticipate there being pleasures and good things in heaven and in the new creation. But when I read my scriptures, when I read the Bible, the last vision that we are given is not God off somewhere else and us enjoying the things that were kept from us here on earth. But rather, in this new creation, God himself comes to dwell in our midst. And if God would transcend his own transcendence, what would need to happen in order for his creatures to actually be with him in a meaningful way? And at that point, it begins to expose some of the real realities of sin, that it can't just be covered over and ignored. Mm -hmm. And the impurity can't just something that we superficially wash off of our hands before going to prayer. But our, our hearts, the depths of our person needs to have that impurity expunged from us. Mm. And we need to have our sins fully eradicated and God's righteous wrath needs to be poured out on those sins in order for him to also be just. And so the, the need of an eternity that's characterized by the presence of God immediately amongst his people, the need for a deeper treatment of sin becomes apparent in that conversation. That's, that's powerful.
1: All right. So let me, I'm going to start to uh, move. Yeah. We should start moving toward closing this time. Um, but we can always do a follow-up interview. Definitely. Uh, but let me ask you this. Um, so part of your, uh, book is dealing with the uh, uh, Muslims, because it's an Islamic text, but then part of that is for Christians, so they can have a conversation for Mus- with Muslims, mm. Muslim friends. Um, in your view, uh, should we read as, as believers should we read the Quran? And if we should, then how should we read the Quran?
0: Yeah. So in the book, the last, I think, three chapters kind of work through that. Question: Because there's a cluster of questions along with it. Not only should we read it, but should we use it? Because there are certain missionary methods that suggest, even as you mentioned, you've got stories of lots of biblical prophets like Lot or uh, Abraham or Jesus, this character who seems to have a lot of connections to the biblical and historical Jesus. So what do we do with the Quran once we've read it? Do we use it as a bridge? into the scriptures? Is it a, a positive thing for us, or is it something that we need to be wary of? And so, for the first question, I do think Christians should be reading the Quran. Part of that is because what you'll encounter is something that's very different in terms of its presentation as well as its um, uh, its purpose and its its form than what we read in the Bible. And I think for many people who aren't deeply acquainted with Islam, the assumption is that the Quran is just the Muslim version of the Bible. But it is a very different document and it has a different impact and even purpose in the life of most Muslims. There's very few Muslims who have a quiet time in the morning where they are prayerfully thinking through and uh, sort of reasoning from the Quran to their life. More often than not, the what you do with the Quran is you commit it to memory as an act of piety and devotion. But it's written in 6th century, 7th century Arabian Peninsula Arabic. And so it's not really something that most Muslims today, even native speakers, are able to digest and work through in the way that we pick up our ESV or our CSB, um, English Bible, and try to work through applying it to our lives. So I do think that it's important to read in order to know what is there. But then beyond that, to be able to begin to see some of the ways the Quran takes these themes or even the characters from the Bible, and even though they seem to have some similarity, as they feature in the Quran, they actually serve a very different purpose and so some of that superficial similarity that might occur to us to see when we look at the Jesus character in the Quran, that might get us real excited to use it. Mm-hmm. I think we need to we need to be a little bit more um, critical mm-hmm. in our approach to saying, is this in fact Jesus? And do I want to say, oh, I believe in Jesus too, implying mm-hmm. that the that's the same character, the same purpose purpose that that character serves, or would it be more helpful for me to, to study what comes out of this character and and what this character is for in the Quran so as to be able to better communicate when my Muslim friend says, oh, we believe in all of your prophets, just plus Muhammad, we can have some better questions to ask that will deepen our conversations off of that when we've read with, read the Quran and, and wrestled with it a little bit.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. So, folks, uh, this book will help Christians learn how to explore Islamic faith with the missiological wisdom and biblical precision. The Quran and the Christian, that's the book we are talking about, will give uh, believers the insight to deepen friendships, promote understanding, and clarify the biblical gospel among Muslim friends and neighbors. So that's my invitation to all of you. If you are looking for a resource, here you have it. Uh, please, uh, uh, you can buy that online, the Quran and uh, the Christian by Matt Bennett. Also, you can uh, communicate, uh, you can ask your questions directly to the author. He tweets at M-A Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T-8-2. Again, at M-A Bennett, 82. So we're going to put that also under this episode so you can connect with Matt directly. Matt, I always, uh, since I started this podcast, I decided because our content tend to be very serious, uh, we want to make sure we start with some uh, family conversation, but we end with a joke. So tell me a joke.
0: Oh, no. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Horse walks into a bar. Bartender says, why the long face? Bye.
1: That's all I got. <laughs> That's all? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's good. I'll say good. Let the people figure it out. Um, I'm glad that uh, we, we got to have sense of humor, right? In the middle Certainly. of a serious uh, world. world is, like, full of all kind of uh, crazy stuff. So thank you so much uh, for your time and i'm pretty sure i will be coming back to you with another um episode we'd we'll love to have you back sometime especially once your book um, is uh, out it's already out but uh, once people read it uh, six from, months from now something like that i will try to um reach out to you again and we'll bring you back well thank Until you then. so much alphonse i appreciate it very much uh, you're most welcome brother appreciate you been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.